All right, if you start making your way to your seat, we'll go ahead and continue to worship together tonight. Uh, if you got your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to the book of Philippians, which is where we've been for the last few weeks. We will be for quite a few weeks more, looking at verses one, chapter one, verses nineteen through twenty-six. So kind of starting at the very tail end of verse 18, he says, yes, and I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death for to me to live as Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let's go to the, word, uh, to, to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father God, again, we thank you for this day. Um, we thank you for all your many blessings. Uh, we thank you for your goodness and kindness that is shown to us through your word. God, as we have even shared tonight before in our discipleship class, God, we, we recognize that your word is the way, the primary way that you speak to us. God, that you have a message to us in our time, but God, it is the same message you have had for all of your people throughout all time. And so we thank you that we have this objective source that we can come to, to see who you are, to see who we are, God, to see the the situation and the plight that we find ourselves in because of our sin and rebellion, God, to see the solution to that that you have made uh, for your people uh, by sending your son, Jesus Christ, into the world. God, the life of walking according to the spirit that you have called us to, God, the mission that you have set us to, God, we thank you for your word. Um, that we have all these things and that we can uh, learn and grow and be fed by your word. God, we thank you that your word has been preached all across this county this this Lord's Day. We thank you for faithful Bible-believing churches of, of uh, Baptist persuasion um, and of any other gospel-believing, Bible-preaching persuasion. God, that um, you are using uh, the churches of Blount County to reach those uh, communities that they represent. God, we ask for your blessing in those areas, in those, in those communities and from those ministries that you would have your word taught and your gospel proclaimed, um, each Lord's day. We thank you that we live in a, in a community in which there are still many faithful churches, um, preaching your word. We ask that you bless them, uh, as, as we pray that you would bless our own church. God, as we come to your word, open our eyes, our hearts, our minds uh, by the power of your spirit to the things that we read 
help us to uh, understand them rightly, to interpret them rightly, uh, and to receive from them what you would have for us. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So you have probably heard the phrase at some point in your life, um, my life flashed before my eyes, right? You know that, you know that saying. Um, you probably said it in sort of an exaggerated kind of way, you know, like I, uh, I think I was somewhere one time and like the kid, a kid threw something across the room and it barely missed my head. And I was like, Oh, my life flashed before my eyes or something like that. Um, but interestingly, um, it is actually a, reported and common phenomenon um, for people who have had either traumatic or near-death experiences that they will talk about, and this is across cultures and in different contexts, they will people will have this experience that that we call having your life flash before your eyes. And and there are similarities between all of the reports of these things happening in these traumatic or near-death experiences. Um, people report feeling that it's like time slows down in those moments. And so for, for a few moments before an accident, before a fall, before a, something happens, it feels as if time slows down. People notice details about the situation that they never would have probably noticed ordinarily. Um, and then the idea of your life flashing before your eyes, many people, again, in different places report this sort of weird thing that happens where it's almost as if a slideshow of your life is playing in your head, where in your mind's eye, you see these images of past events, things that have happened in, uh, you know, maybe all the way back into your childhood, things that you didn't remember, uh, just all kinds of things sort of pass before your, your sight in some spooky uh, accounts of it. And again, I don't know what to do with this, but in spooky kind of accounts of it, people will say not only did they remember things from their past, but they saw things in their future that hadn't happened yet. They would see the person that they were going to marry, but hadn't met yet, or the children that they were going to have who had not been born yet. And then for those who lived through the experience later on in life, end up meeting a person and going, you're the person that I saw when I had that thing. You may say, Ash, what does that mean? I don't know what it means. I don't even know if it's true. I don't know that I don't know what to say about it. I'm just saying what people claim to have happened in those things. Um, the secular world obviously attributes this to some sort of rush of neurochemicals in, in the moment that start activating synapses that haven't been activated in a long time and bringing to mind certain memories. Maybe a more um, supernatural or spiritual kind of take on it would be that in those moments of crisis, special insight or um, revelation is given to people at, at, at a point about the nature of your own life and different things going on in it, right? Um, I don't know what the answer to all those things or if it even is a true phenomenon, but we can also say another common characteristic is this, that many people come away from those events changed, right? Something happens at that point, and in that moment where their life flashes before their eyes, um, they see things differently, after that, um, it's clarifying some way for those people. They feel as if they have uh, a new understanding of the things that are futile in life and the things that are truly important and, and ultimate in their lives. And so their lives end up changing in some way. Um, 
we don't have to have near-death experiences to go through the same experience of that. And the reason is, is because we have uh, God telling us what those ultimate truths are and ultimate realities are. We have God telling us uh, what are the things that are truly important and the things that maybe we count as important that are actually not as important as we might think they are. And so Paul reveals some of those things in his own account as he's talking to us from prison in Rome. And honestly, we could sort of say that Paul is actually having a near-death experience in some ways. Not super near, but at least he's having an awaiting death experience. Um, and, and maybe it's in the clarity of that moment that some of these things come to the forefront. So again, he's under house arrest in Rome. He is writing a letter to the Philippians, the church at Philippi, a church that he planted in his second missionary journey roughly a decade before the time of the writing of this letter. Last week, we emphasized these different principles, um, the centrality, the preeminence of the gospel. That's what we talked about last week, that Paul was basically saying the gospel is what's most important. Uh, if the gospel is being preached, we have reason to rejoice. Even if there's the shady motives along with that, if the gospel, the true gospel is being preached, then while we don't have to be glad about the the, the negative peripheral things, we can at the very least be glad and praise God for the fact that the gospel is truly being preached because the gospel is what truly matters. So this week he makes some other distinctions and that's kind of how we're going to approach this passage. Some either ors, not this, but this, this is not important, but what is truly important is this other thing. We're going to make three statements about what is central and what is not. And the first one is this, what is truly important is not Paul's freedom, but Paul's deliverance. Paul's freedom is not what is ultimately important, but Paul's deliverance is. Verse 18 again. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul is on trial, uh, or will be soon. His life, his freedom are on the line. Um, probably the case is if you pay attention to sort of Christian news sources, you have noticed over the last few years, there have been a number of of Situations in closed countries where missionaries have been arrested, where missionaries have been detained. You've heard various stories. There was a group of Koreans who were um, uh, caught in Iran, uh, you know, a few years ago. There was a pastor and he was a, one guy, and I can't remember if it was in Egypt um, or if it was also in Iran. But there have been various stories of of uh, pastors and, and and missionaries who have been detained. They've been arrested by the state. Um, on charges of, of proselytizing um, or whatever. And it's interesting because any of those cases, th- there is a certain uh, voice that comes from the public, from the church, particularly from the American church. And, and what are we looking for? What do we want? We are calling for those people to be released, right? Uh, all of a sudden, you'll, you'll find people commenting on Facebook and, and, and they're trying to raise money for legal support and things. Why? Because we want that pastor or missionary released. We want to focus our energy on getting that guy or those people or that woman home. I suspect that there were many in Paul's time 
that were concerned about the same kind of thing. That as Paul is in jail, people are saying, Paul, what we need to focus on is getting you acquitted and getting you home. Maybe there are Roman lawyers who have converted to the faith who are giving Paul counsel. Certainly his friends and fellow believers who are coming to help him in this, this situation that he's found himself in, they're probably um, trying to, to uh, help him out. But, but Paul seems to not be concerned primarily with his freedom. Instead, he, he's, he's concerned with this word and this specific word that he uses. He says, his deliverance. Now, that word has some broad connotation. It can be used in different ways and has different translations. It can be translated deliverance. It can be translated preservation, safety. It specifically tends to have the idea of being delivered from the attacks of your enemies, saved from, from your enemies. And so in an ethical sense, the, the word can even have the connotation of, of your soul's safety. Okay, the idea of being delivered to future salvation, the some benefit and blessing of being um, at peace with God, being redeemed from all earthly ills, enjoying the return of Jesus Christ at the consummation of all things and entering into his eternal kingdom. All of these ideas are packed into that word deliverance, and it can be used in all these different ways. And so basically commentators, when they come to this passage, they tend to think he's talking about one of two things with that word deliverance. He's either saying, I trust that all these things are going to end in my deliverance from prison, meaning I'm going to get out of jail, or he's saying, I trust that all of these things are going to end in my deliverance, meaning my ultimate justification before God in all of these things. And when we look at the larger context of all the things he says around it, we start maybe leaning a little bit to that second idea, that it's not just that Paul thinks, although it probably is included, in fact, we know it is from later on in the passage, that Paul thinks this is going to end up in him being acquitted and released back out into the world. But his concern is for more than that. Paul wants to make sure that above all things, that he is delivered in terms of um, his standing before God. He wants to stand before Christ on the day of judgment and be ashamed of nothing that he did while he was in prison. He says he wants the courage to do what is right in this trying situation. That for all the temptations that come along and all the trials that come along with being in prison, that at the end of the day, he wants the courage to do what is right in all these things. And that above everything else, he wants Christ to be honored no matter what happens. All right? Paul's not concerned about his freedom. He's concerned about his right standing with Jesus Christ in all things. So that's the first dichotomy. It's not Paul's, even though probably everybody is wanting Paul's freedom, Paul's more concerned about something bigger, his deliverance. Not only that, but what Paul points to in the next few verses, verse 21, 22, 23, Paul's not worried about his life, but what he is worried about is Christ. He's not even worried about his own life. Verse four, uh, 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. 
My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. The reality is this. The stakes are pretty high here, right? Um, Paul is on trial, and life or death hang in the balance for him. And that's pretty much as serious as it gets. Again, we probably use that in an exaggerated way all the time. We'll say, oh, this is things a matter of life and death. And very few things in our lives are often matters of life and death. And yet we, we sort of exaggerate and say those kind of things. But for Paul, the stakes are huge. But what's interesting is that he undermines the hugeness of those stakes. And he points to even greater concerns in the passage. So here's a cool little, just like a little thing in the Greek. The word is, is not in the Greek. It's put in there to make it sound more translatable and to get the point across. But if we read the passage literally, it would basically say this. For me to live, Christ. If I am to die, gain. All right? As if there's a hard break and then an an exclamation. What are my options in this thing? Life or death don't really matter. That's not really the options. That's not the problem. I have two things, life and gain. I mean, a Christ and gain. That's the only two things that I have to choose from. Christ being preached here and now or the gain of me being with Christ in eternity. Now, again, I don't know about you, but life and death are what I make a whole lot of decisions about in my, in, in my daily life, right? Uh, if something is going to potentially cause me to die, I usually don't do that thing. Okay. There may be some thrill seekers among you in here who you, you, you're the kind that'll go skydiving or something like that. You want to go extreme, uh, anything, um, extreme, uh, hiking. So some of y'all probably don't know this. I worked at Little River Trading Company, um, back in the day, like 20 years ago. And there was a guy there. He's one of the managers named Jody and Jody was an extreme hiker. So while I was working there, Jody used up all of his vacations to go try to summit Denali, which is Mount, uh, McKinley. Okay. Um, and he went with a buddy of his, and guess what happened? They got about halfway up the mountain, and his buddy got altitude sickness, literally went crazy, delirious, and he had to figure out a way to get his buddy down off this mountain before he died. And I was like, that doesn't sound like a fun time to me. Like, that doesn't sound like anything I have any interest in ever being a part of. Um, I don't want to do that. Most of my decisions in life are made about life and death. But Paul is laying his life on the line for something far greater than certainly an adrenaline rush, but even still far bigger than even his own physical well-being, even bigger than life and death. Those aren't ultimate to Paul. Life and death is not the most important thing. They are not the ultimate decision-making principles for him. They're not the crux that at the end of the day, every decision he makes is about what will keep me alive or what will keep me from dying. It's not what Paul does. In fact, at least in this context, they seem to be kind of inconsequential. I'm sure his friends are likely saying, Paul, our goal needs to be keeping you from being executed. All right. That should be our goal in this situation. 
And you start thinking back and you go, I remember a story similar to that. seems like once upon a time, Jesus said, I'm going to be executed. And what did Peter say? Surely not, Lord. We're never going to let that happen. You got to change the way you're thinking about this stuff, Jesus. Like you need to be focused on, on living and doing all the things that we want you to do, not on this crazy stuff about the fact that you're going to be persecuted and dying. And we remember what Jesus, uh, uh, words to Peter were that they were get behind me, Satan. Cause you're not thinking about the things of the Lord. You're thinking about the things of, of man. No, keeping me alive, Paul says, is not the goal. That's not the main thing. My life and death are not the main issue. Jesus is the goal. Jesus' presence, Jesus' mission, Jesus' will. If I live through this, Paul is saying, my life will continue to be centered around the mission of Jesus Christ. Jesus will still be the most important thing. And if I die and I'm executed, my existence will focus now on the presence of Christ because I will be with him in eternity. And so again, man, we spend most of our lives thinking about safety. We spend most of our lives thinking about comfort. We spend most of our lives thinking about freedom. And again, those are not bad things, especially when we're talking about the silliness and the foolishness and the, and the, uh, the recklessness that so many people live in in their lives, right? It's right to think about those concerns. But they're not ultimate. And they're certainly not ultimate when, when they're set next to the cause of Jesus Christ. And Paul knows that. Moreover, not just is, is life and death not Ultimate freedom or deliverance. But Paul says, my desires are not what's ultimate in this process. But what is ultimate or what I'm focusing on anyway is your good. Paul says, verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul just said, I know what I want to do. It would be far better for me to leave and go be with Jesus. That would be way better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So right, Paul directly addresses the issue of what he would choose. He knows it isn't up to him. Superficially, it's up to Caesar. Ultimately, in actuality, it will be up to God whether or not he lives or dies. But if it was his decision, which would he choose? He says, man, I'm hard pressed. The best case scenario for me personally is to go to be with Jesus because that's the point of everything. Right, That's the reason why you exist. It's the reason why you were created. It's the reason why you were redeemed. The reason why Jesus died was to bring you to himself. Your whole purpose in life is to be with Jesus. And men's uh, leadership meeting this this last uh, week, we were talking about ministry and how at the end of the day, ministry has to flow out of a personal delight in Jesus Christ. That you have to be, um, you have to take delight and be attached to Jesus. Um, And if you're not, man, ministry just turns into drudgery. Like it turns into burnout. We read from Psalm chapter 27 where where the psalmist says, the one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. So what's he saying? He said, man, the one thing that I want in this life, the one thing that I'm going to seek after, the one thing that I'm going to make the object of all my energy is that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and I will gaze upon his beauty. I will delight in the Lord and I will inquire in his temple. I will learn from the Lord and he will He will teach me the things that he has for me. Right? That's our ultimate purpose. That's what Paul's ultimate purpose is. That's what he wants. He says, man, I was made to be with Jesus and I want to go to him. I want to be with Christ. But what does he say in verse 24? He says, the problem is it's more necessary for me to stay here. There's a good little nugget there for us in terms of decision-making and leadership and life and family and everything. There are situations in which what is best is not what is most necessary. Sometimes what is best, at one level we would think, man, I should just do what is best, right? I should always do what is best. But every once in a while we look at it and we go, man, sometimes what is best is is not as important as what is necessary in the moment. Oftentimes we make decisions. You probably do this. I make these kind of, uh, do this in my decision-making process too. I make lists sometimes. You make a pros and cons list. You ever done that? You got a big decision coming up in your life and say, I'm going to make a list, pros and cons. What are the goods? What are the bads? I think it can be clarifying to do that. But here's a question that this passage, this little section prompts from us. How many times are those pros and cons other people's pros and cons? Right? How many times do you start making that list and going, okay, well, here's my pros and my cons, and here's what would be good, and here's what would be bad. But how often do we say, now, what would be best or worst for my family, for my church, for my community, um, for the people I work with, for, for any number of things. This is the servant heart of Christ that we see in Paul at this point. Jesus left the glories of heaven, right? He didn't seek after what was best for him, but instead he acted in such a way to save his peoples. Paul's concern is for his spiritual children. That's what Paul's worried about. He knows what would be best for him. That is to go and be with Christ. But he knows what is necessary for those he is leaving behind. They still need Paul. Paul's got a lot of ministry left to do. He's got a lot of things to share and to pour into other people, particularly even into the church in Philippi. He wants to get back there. He's still got something for them. Again, many times pastors make decisions and they end up leaving churches. Um, and I always have to wonder, you go, are that is is he thinking about his congregation or is he thinking about his own situation in life? Now, again, I, I'm not ever going to tell anybody, a pastor or really even a parishioner, um, the decision that they should make. Because at the end of the day, uh, I'm not your master. Um, you've got to answer to somebody else. And it may be the case that God is actually calling you away to some other place. But I heard uh, a pastor one time make the comment. He said, boy, it sure is interesting, though, that pastors are almost never called to churches where they make less money. It's really interesting, isn't it? Um, I wonder sometimes how much the good of the church played into their decision making. Because that's obviously what Paul is concerned about. He's not worried about his own good. 
He's worried about their good. And so Paul's convinced that he still has work to do, even among specifically the church of Philippi. God's not done with him yet. And so he's convinced that God's going to let him stay. That's going to be what ends up happening, that there's still race left to run in his life. And actually, that's what we think happens. This is one of the cool little, you know, fun little mysteries of the Bible. We don't know for sure what happens to Paul in this trial. Because the book of Acts ends with Paul awaiting his day in court. And so what we think is the case is that when we look at some other uh, epistles, when we look at some different books and try to compare things and the way Paul talks about stuff and bring things to bear, what we think happened is that Paul does end up going before Caesar, but he is acquitted and he is released. And he goes back out into the world and ministers for another maybe three or four years, probably before he is arrested again, at which time he is found guilty and and executed. But the truth is, is we don't know for sure. We don't know exactly how it all plays out. But we think, and Paul's words here would would make us think that as well. Paul says, I feel certain that I'm going to be freed because I still have work to do. And I feel like that's what God has shown me. And so we assume that Paul is probably right. Um, and, and there would be some evidence to that in the scriptures. So let's, let's close with this idea. So we've seen these, these three things. Paul is not primarily concerned um, about his freedom, but about his standing with God, his deliverance. He's not primarily concerned about his own life or death. He's primarily concerned about Christ and being um, faithful to him. He's not primarily concerned about his own desires, but the good of those who have been entrusted to him, those churches that he has planted and those spiritual children um, that he has begotten. So here's the question that we'll close on. It goes a little bit of a little bit of a tangent, but thinking in those lines is this is the question. What are you still doing here? Why are you still here? My granddad, who passed away, I don't know, five years ago, seven years ago, it's probably longer than that because time goes so quickly. Um, But I remember towards the end of his life, he made a comment one day, and he said, sometimes I just don't know what I'm still doing here. And he said that it's probably a common sentiment of of people who are approaching death. They sort of look at their life and they go, you know, um, he was he was in his 90s when he passed. His his wife was gone. Most of his friends were gone. Shoot, most of his friends' children, many of them were gone. Um, he couldn't see well. He couldn't hear well. Uh, f- food had lost its taste. I mean, you know, all those things. And you just sort of he looked up and probably in a moment of just sort of like. I don't know what I'm still doing here. I don't know why Jesus hasn't come and taken me home yet. But it's a sobering question for us to ask is what are you still here for? Why haven't you gone to be with Christ? Because if you're a Christian, that is far better. That is what you were made for and it's what you will spend eternity doing is abiding in Jesus Christ. So what are you still doing here? Sometimes I think the answer to those things are pretty temporal, pretty worldly. Well, I have things I want to do. 
I have places I want to see. I have experiences that I want to have. My freedom, my life, my desires. Paul says, if you are still alive, there is one reason. Christ and his church. To live Christ. That's the only answer. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Ask God that he would help us to meditate the, on these things in our own lives, our own walks, things that we uh, deal with every day, the people that we encounter. Um, what are we doing here? Let's ask the Lord to show us that. Father God, is it easy for us to live in such a way where we, where we float from task to task, where we, um, do the next thing that is in front of us, um, in a, in a thoughtless way? Um, God, it's easy for us to live in a way where we are living for ourselves, where we deny, um, Literally, or at least functionally, the calling that Christ has upon our lives as as disciples and as servants. Got to just to do the things that we want to do and have the dreams that we want to have. That some of those things aren't bad. They are actually things that facilitate the larger mission and calling that you have upon our lives that you've given us many things that we are be, to be about the provision for our families and, and um, got fruitful labor belonging in our communities. God, you've made us to enjoy each other's company and to have fun and to engage in all these different things. And yet, in the midst of all those things, there are higher and more nobler purposes that you have called us to. God, help us to focus our attention on these things. Help us to ask the question each day, what am I here for? What is it that you would have me to do today, Lord? How can I live in a way, in all of the contexts, in all of the groups, in all of the um, areas of influence that I exist in. God, what can I do each day to exemplify what we have seen Paul share with us? That to be alive means fruitful labor for the Lord and nothing else is worthy of us. God, help us to, to navigate these things in our own lives. Bless us to that end so that we're faithful to your son. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and sing the closing song.
Yes, Oh, 
Amen. Uh, hope you have a great week. Um, hope to see you here next Sunday. Um, but before that, I hope to see you Saturday morning. Um, I hope that that you'll be able to come and serve. Um, like I said, we 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 need some more people to come and be a part of it. And so, um, if if you're available or if you can be there, then I'd love for you to sign up before um, uh, we leave today, and then we'll get you information about where we're going to meet up and all those kind of things like that during the week. Um, other than that, um, have a good week. Um, we'll see you uh, next Sunday as we continue in Philippians. Here's this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.